Well, hello and welcome to episode 210 of The Call Room, and what a special episode it's going to be. It's the first of our episodes to be released in 2024, and even more excitingly, I have a new computer to edit everything on, and that means that it's taken me a few extra days to figure out where all the new buttons are, but we're on board, we're on deck, and we're ready to go with a really special afternoon that we spent in Melbourne, Australia, with Mark Osborne from Adroit Theory while he was over in Virginia in the US. It's a really great insight into one of America's most exciting breweries and look there's some great beers to accompany it. As you'll hear we'll be discussing all of them as we go along in the episode but you can still grab them from our online store. That's right if you search for Cool Room Podcast Shopify uh, you can duck on over to our store and we can send you out the beers that you need to enjoy this episode. Uh, Amazing value $99 for six beers I know sounds pricey but these are beers that easily sell for $20, $25 a head, and um, they are amazing things to taste, as you will hear. And even more excitingly, as we get to in the later bits of the podcast, there are some more Adroit Theory beers on their way, uh, literally on the water at the moment from the US. Our friends from Forward Hops, and a big shout out to Forward Hops for helping us set up this episode, are bringing in some other great beers. We'll have them in our online store just as soon as they get to Australia. So don't miss out on the opportunity to get them. And look, how do you want it? How do you find out when those hit the store? Well, you find out by following us on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you're not already doing that, make sure you do that. That's how you find out about future episodes and future beer deliveries. And of course, how do you find out about the podcast? Well, you like and subscribe it in whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. And that's a real help to us, particularly when we're asking international breweries to come on. We can show them the number of downloads we get, the number of fans we have, and they get even more excited about being with us. That's exactly what happened with Adroit Theory, Mark's second visit with us. Uh, So look, let's not waste any more time. Let's get on over to the in this case, Sunday afternoon, Zoom room. It's noon or thereabouts in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, that's the time of day that Mr. Warren Wu confesses that he has eaten no breakfast and he is putting some lime into the first beer of the day. Uh, as he said before we pressed record, it'll be really interesting to see how this goes. Mr. Warren Wu, are you ready? Yeah, I am ready and raring. This is uh, this is exciting. I missed out the last time that we had uh, we had a joint theory on, so so this is terrific. I'm uh, I'm really excited. I'm excited. The beers that we've got lined up today are amazing. We've got six beers in our tasting packs all the way from the US, and we're going to be drinking through three of them today, just so that people know the order that we'll be tasting so that you can play along at home. What you need to have ready to go is the Mexican Dark Lager, which is the damaged, the Invisible Art Black IPA, and then Future Kill. So hopefully everyone's got those ready to rock and roll. I'm excited to say that I know that Mark over at Adroit Theory has managed to find those three beers. Mr. Warren Wu, given your meeting Mark for the first time, why don't you introduce him and we'll get underway? Yeah, uh, awesome, terrific. Um, thanks, Mark, for joining us. Uh, I'm, as I said, I'm super excited to drink through these beers. Um, just a little, just a quick one for people at home who are listening to this on the podcast, especially 
um, our friends in whereabouts Thailand? You said the other day we we had a. We're raiding our socks off in Thailand, and I have no idea why. I have no idea why, but like they will definitely have limes. <laughs> getting one ready would be a really cracking idea, but um, and that's cool. Uh, but let's let's introduce our guest, Mark. We haven't met. I didn't get to meet you last time that uh, you were kind enough to join us on our little podcast. Um, tell us about you and Adroit Theory. Well, sure. We're nice Sweet. to meet you and hi to all the rest of the fellas and everybody listening at home. I appreciate the time. And so thank you so much for moving this to the middle of the day, uh, Australia time. Uh, cause the last time we were, I was drinking, I think it was like five 30 in the morning, my local time. And uh, that put a damper on my productivity. I'm not going to lie to you. It so. was rather a large beer that we had from you that time as well as part of the car. When <laughs> I can't remember if it was the magnificent seven or the famous five, but it was a massive Imperial <laughs> stout. And, um, yeah, that, that were different times. Yes. Yeah. Things, uh, things kind of went downhill from there, but that's okay. <laughs> Looking forward to our tasting today. And, uh, so again, yeah, my name is Mark. I'm the owner of Adroit Theory. Uh, we are a very small brewery. I think people sometimes think we're a little bit bigger than we really are, but but we're a pretty small brewery here in the U.S. Uh, in Virginia, we're about an hour outside of Washington D.C. And since uh, since the day we started, which is almost 10 years ago we started in january of 2014 so we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary but since day one uh we have been pushing the envelope we have been breaking the molds we have been working outside of the box to make adventurous challenging exciting delicious mm -hmm. uh, but beers that definitely don't fit nicely into round holes so hopefully you guys enjoy these beers. We, uh, we've been distributing with Forward Hops down in Australia for, gosh, maybe four to five years. And uh, uh, we're always excited when a pallet uh, goes out the door because we know the people, uh, you know, who are willing to spend the money to get an import uh, value what we're doing. And I'm always uh, hopeful that it'll put a big smile on their face. Well, we should absolutely give a shout out to Forward Hops. Um, they've been great assistance to us, not just in this episode, making sure that the beers are absolutely fresh, uh, but have been great friends to us for a few years now. And um, we love it when they send through one of their little uh, messages to me, which says that these are the breweries that are coming. Let's load up with some fun things. And when I saw the list of beers you guys had available, well, it was too good to miss. And we're already underway with something really fun. The damaged mm. Mexican dark lager. Now, this sounds like it was uh, absolutely purpose-made for you, Mark, to be drinking tonight after your lovely dinner and a couple of margaritas. Is that about right? That is about right. This beer was made for Mexican food. We patterned this beer off of the, you know, very phenomenal Negra Modelo, which mm, yeah. I don't think it's as much love as it should being a globally made macro beer, but it really is a tasty, a tasty beer. So mm. uh, as someone that eats a lot of Tex-Mex and Mexican food and margaritas and all that great stuff, we really tried to make something that kind of fit into that mold, which is a classic dark German lager, you know? Um, that's so 
It was great. My my first job was at a Tex-Mex place called Nacho's Mexican Cantina. Well, it was all the way out in Oakley. Um, and I was reminded of that when I drove past the old 70s motel that's near my university. Uh, I So I know the Modelo really well. And I'm interested to, I'm interested, I've got my thoughts on why it works so well with Mexican and Tex-Mex food. How do you put it together? What's in your mind when you're when when you're drinking this beer and and eating no uh chili con carne yeah <laughs> yes mm. now i'll be honest with you i haven't had this beer since it first came out uh well i shouldn't say that i probably have had it but you know it's been a little bit since i've tasted it so give me one second mm-hmm. absolutely and and warren referenced as well the suggestion if you've got lime if you're in thailand lean out oh, the window yes. pick a lime and give it a little squeeze, and I've uh, I've had to make do with lemon today rather than lime. Mister Warren Wu has the right lime. Mark, of course, has lime, um, oh. and it's funny. It does just give it that little bit of extra lift and tang, doesn't it? Mm. It does. It's funny. I mean, I'm not a you know a big uh, proponent of adding fruit to beer mm. unless I'm doing it on purpose, right? Like I shouldn't make a beer that requires fruit to be added to it to finish it off, but you know to kind of pay homage to the classic Negro Modelo. Yep. We we've been doing it at the brewery and I really think it really adds a nice, um, you know, pop that citrus pop, you know, it's a very, you know, obviously it's a very light body. I mean, it's a lager and it's dark, but at the end of the day, it's got a nice malt backbone and it's yeah. got a little bit of that, you know, chocolate and, and caramel that you would associate with a rich maltiness and that citrus really helps it pop. Mm-hmm. We didn't use any, hops that had citrus in it we used all noble hops and so we wanted to with the fruit spritz there at the end just kind of give it a pop and i and i really think it helps liven up the beer so um first sip yes that is it that is it yeah i love this i love it because i mean i i don't know about you guys i don't know i mean is mexican food a thing in in australia i mean you obviously worked at a place in Australia, but I mean, is it something that's readily available or is it pretty obscure? It's, it's readily available. Really in fact, available. Mr. Warren yeah. Wu owned his own Mexican restaurant at one stage. It was where oh, yeah. it was like a taco thing. <laughs> so nice. Uh, yeah, and and a lot of it's it's really surprising. And I I kind of make the I make the made the connection like in in like after university and working life. Um, there's a lot of overlaps when it comes to Mexican food and Southeast Asian food. Uh, and it makes sense that we love both. Uh, the hottest, like we've got this, we've got this burrito place, uh, Guzman Gomez, uh, and they're everywhere and the lines and the incredible and, and how it works with, with our culture, I'm sure is why it's so it, it like we don't have the same touch points. Like, you know, you guys are right next to Mexico, so that makes sense. But for us, it also it makes sense. Is there's a freshness to it, a liveliness to it. Um, like we love we love tortillas. Everyone loves tortillas. So yeah, when you combine all that, it makes a lot of sense for for Australian in in the context of Australian food. Uh, and I really love, for instance, chili on a hot day. 
Yeah. Uh, I also love chili on a cold winter's night as well. But, yeah. you know, those sort of, you know, having those really hot, spicy flavours when you're already sweating, you know, I reckon yeah. I love that. That's sort of, that's made for those kind of conditions. And we, and when we, and it is, it is a little bit like we, it's not as authentic. Oh, no, sometimes it can be super authentic. Sometimes it can be amazingly authentic. But uh, there's, there's also kind of a, a caricatured version that, that we the well, we kind of love like Buffalo Bills is is like corny, but also like you get all the right ingredients is also delicious. Uh, it's yeah, it's 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 kind of a big thing. And a beer like Modelo, like so back in the day, we used to tell people like Modelo makes sense because it's just got a little bit of weight and that little bit of malt, so you do get a cleanliness. But you've also got something which can can kind of get which gives you a bit of balance with you know the richer the richer style sources. Um, if we're doing Tex Mex, then if you're doing a, like a meaty chili or something along those lines, it still has a place. It still has a weight which makes sense with it. Whereas you know you can smash a million Coronas or or um, Dossier Keys or whatever, and that's great too. But to have something which which has a little bit more weight, like this one, makes a lot of sense. Like, I think it makes sense with... with anyway, uh, welcome to Warren Wu's Mexican Corner. Yeah, uh, this, this is right <laughs> in my wheelhouse. It is ridiculous. Gee, I should have eaten something before I before we started this. It's going to... It's Yeah, it's going to be... A it's thing. always a good idea to eat before you drink any Adroit Theory beer, just <laughs> FYI. Uh, yeah. This might be the uh, the only exception. I think this one's clocking in around like five one, so it's uh, kind of a down the hatch beer. But it'll it'll be progressively downhill very quickly. And is this the, the one that you would have picked first for us to to sip from oh, your? Absolutely, pack? absolutely. I mean, it, it's it, we, you know, I'd be frank with you. I'm a little surprised that Forward Hops ordered any of this because again, it's a it's a simple beer. It's you know low ABV. I mean, very drinkable, mm. very crushable. I think it's extremely packed with flavor flavor given you know how simple of a beer it is yeah. but i'm glad that it got there because you know we don't just make double digit everything right we do make some very clean simple two style beers or you know lower abv beers which you know sometimes is great to start with at noon you know <laughs> <laughs> and it in my head, like the forward hops have gone, let's we need a gateway beer for a growth theory. We need to we need to get it in the glass and people and I think it, it does a little bit of that, you know. It's we've got a few breweries producing Mexican lagers. Uh a matter of fact, yeah, we were talking to oh my god, it was just on Thursday. Um oh the Willie's Boatman. Yeah, we were talking to Willie the Boatman and there their i suppose their their flagship beer was was a corn lager yeah it was a corn lager and the, like it's only changed recently which is just nuts um but yeah maybe ford hops is like let's let's get a, a droid theory gateway beer where this is a mexican yeah, lager beer. <laughs> just a little bit different a little bit darker well, this is probably a, a bit of an opportunity because, as you said, quite rightly, Mark, in the past we've had some big adroit theory beers. But I guess down at the tap room and places like that, people probably start out with, you know, your more approachable beers. What, but what's happening in 
tap in the tap room. Give us a feel for what it'd be like out there on a Saturday night right about now. Well, uh, I can assure you, uh, well, hopefully heavy metal is playing in, in constant rotation on volume 11 and, awesome. uh, you know, everyone's enjoying that, uh, except for the people, of course, that weren't expecting it, though they, of course, <laughs> need it, but, uh, everybody else seems to like it, but no, I mean, it's funny at the tasting room, I mean, it, you know, we're very, we're very true to style. Like we don't deviate from what we do that often. So like, I mean, we have, I mean, I think we have maybe two or three. 10% triple IPAs. We have three or four, 12, 13% stouts. We have barley wine. We have wheat wine, all double digit. And again, that's what we make. That's what we do. We have them. We also have a 5% New Zealand Pilsner. You know, it's a beautiful beer, golden with Nelson and Motueka, and it's lovely. And it's a beautiful beer. It's a beer you would drink 16, 20 ounces of while you were drinking three or five ounce samples of the double digit stuff, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's a beer that, you know, you can actually, you know, drink more than one of, and I would put this in the same category. Again, it's a, it's a dark log, not that dark of a lager, but you know, relatively speaking, dark lager. And again, it pairs very nicely with something that's got mm-hmm. a little bit of a heat or zing to it. But at the end of the day, it's just clean, simple, you know, refreshing, great on a hot summer day, even though it's a dark color, which again, kind of throws people off from time to time. They're, you know, they associate heat with, you know, bright, clear and golden, but, you know, something that you can't see your hand from the other side of the glass, it can still be very refreshing on a hot summer day. And how many people do you fit in the, in the tap room? What sort of, you know, give us a bit of a feel of what, what it's like, apart from the sound, which we're totally into, what's it like to walk in there on a Saturday night? Well, it's funny. I mean, we, like we are a small, I I think sometimes people think that we might be bigger to have this big, huge, you know, beautiful looking tasting room. It, It is very humble. We're in a warehouse in the middle of an industrial district. The tasting room is a thousand square feet, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if we get 30 people in there in one time, it feels like packed. Uh, we have a patio, but it's looking at like a car dealership. I mean, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's very industrial. It's very industrial. And, uh, you know, uh, not like the, the grandiose, you know, beautiful looking at the rolling hills of Virginia and the mountains in the background and, you know, it, you know, it's not that it's, it's very, uh, you know, industrial. Well, that is what we expect from Virginia in the same way. I suppose that Americans think that every, every Australian must have a kangaroo in their front yard or something like that. You know, we <laughs> Wait, wait, what you do not. What? what the... No, we've got, we've got wallabies rather than kangaroo. No, it's, but everyone has those sort of expectations. Um, of obviously, yeah, the problem, the situation you're in is probably a lot like most of our local inner city breweries. Mm. So um, but it sounds like what, it's good. What's the scene like? Oh, sorry, David. What's the beer scene like in Virginia? I I was in I was in uh, Washington DC oh, a few years ago. Now it's getting back, and it was it was really vibrant. And then, um, like surprisingly, so um, yeah, Virginia. What's the? Yeah, it's funny. Um, when we when I first you know decided that I wanted to open a brewery in Virginia one of the driving forces was that 
you know, you know, the breweries that were open at that time were fine breweries making fine products, but they were very cut and dry, very, you know, middle of the road, tried to make everybody happy, very simple, straightforward stuff. So I said, I wanted to make, you know, genre challenging beers that appealed mm-hmm. you know, to people that were into the same things I was into. Um, and when we opened day one, like it was like, holy I mean, like nobody was doing anything even remotely on the same planet that we were. Uh, and it worked, I think, very well for us. In the 10 years that have elapsed, a lot of breweries have opened. I think there were maybe maybe 30 breweries when we opened. And in Virginia, there's almost, I think, 300 now. So obviously, there's a lot more. Um, and there are world-class breweries. Uh, the Vale, which is out of Richmond, you know, makes world-class beer. There's a brewery called Aslan, not that far from us, that does, you know, similar stuff to us. Commonwealth, The Answer, Triple Crossing. I mean, it's a competitive marketplace with people making really nice beers, um, mm. which, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess there are competitors, but the way I look at it is, like, they have elevated Virginia onto the same level as California, or mm. Illinois or places that had a bunch of great breweries. And now there's even more great breweries. Virginia yeah. went from here to, you know, here. And that's great. I think that's good yeah. for everybody, not just Virginians, but everybody that has access to the beer being made. Um, You touched on a little bit of a question I have, and there's a similar vibe with some, some breweries we have in, in Australia. So there's there was there's a bunch of breweries who started out their life being cutting edge, uh pushing the envelope, doing the things which are really challenge that could be quite challenging, like actually um um yeah, doing things which which people didn't expect, like genre, yeah, genre altering uh beer styles. So 10 years on, when you've got other people doing who who kind of followed your footsteps, I suppose. Like they've thought they've seen our droid theory. There's a there's a bravery there, and we can we can kind of do more stuff. Like so, how do you keep on pushing that in? How do you keep on creating challenging things? I'm glad you've had a few margaritas because this question. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably you could probably have had a couple of mar- margaritas just during the time it took to ask the question. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, yeah, no, I hear what you say. No, it's funny because, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to even pretend to portray that somehow we were the first. We were mm. so original doing things that nobody else was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I do not want to imply that that was that. I mean, we sure. did some really interesting and unique things. Uh, I don't think there were very many people doing them, but we were definitely cutting edge when we started. I yep. will tell you, I do look and I see, you know, what some of my peers are doing and, you know, like, oh, you know, we added seaweed to this beer. And I look back and I'm like, wow, we did that in like 2014. You know, <laughs> you know, we've kind of, yeah. you know, seems very passe at this point. But um, if anything, I'll be frank with you, I think we still do some really interesting and unique things. And, and I definitely like that. I think our reputation is that we make adventurous things and do things that other people do not but on the same time in that interim period what we've done is we've actually added more straightforward things like the first pilsner pilsner that we made 
was in like 2019, five years after we started the brewery. Uh, the first IPA we made wow. was like three or four years after we started the brewery. Um, I've never brewed a red ale or a brown ale uh, or a wit ale or I mean, like things that like everybody's like, oh, those are, you know, your brewery. You should make these things like uh, you know, we haven't done this. So what we've done is I don't think we've so much stopped doing the crazy things, the over the top things. But what we did in the interim period was we offered some things that were more approachable to everybody, right? That like you can go to a Droid Theory and actually have a very nice portfolio of beers that run the gamut, you know, from lower ABV to, you know, clean and simple two style beers, you know, and then you also have these crazy things that no one else is doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that I think has been more of our approach. We've kind of caught up to some of the basics. Uh, and then, you know, the experimentals are still there, but like, oh, we also have a Pilsner or we have, you know, a logger, you know, a logger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how we've made it this long without making beer, a logger. <laughs> I reckon that might be a useful place for us to just press pause on this bit of the recording people are listening to the podcast version can get out the invisible art black ipa because it seems Ooh. like an appropriate time to move from talking about lager to talking about some of these other styles that you do brew in yes. black ipa yes. being there. Yes. let me press a pause well we're back we've in the process of opening the next can, in fact, I've even been organised enough to be able to do it live on microphone. Ah, what a magic sound. Here we have the Invisible Art Black IPA. Um, Mark, talk us through what we should be seeing on the glass, what we should be smelling, what we should be tasting. Sure. This is so, I, you know, I'm a little biased, obviously. I love almost all the beers that we make. Uh, but this is definitely a top five beer and possibly top three beers of beers, not only that we've made currently, but like of all time, which we've made a lot of beers. So that's saying something. Mm. Um, one thing I'll mention is please, I know it's hard because I just pulled this out of the fridge and it's about 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Let it warm up. This beer yeah. needs to be at, at stout, yeah, maybe a hair cooler than stout temperature, but mm. you know. 55 to 59 degrees i would say fahrenheit um you know don't drink it cold i mean it's delicious cold don't get me wrong but like all of the nuance all of the flavor comes out as it warms mm. um lucky my disorganization meant that i really only put it into the fridge an hour or two ago so it's probably oh, exactly the right temperature right, accidentally. right nice and cool but not cold but anyway mm. this is invisible art it's uh i don't know does, it, does anybody actually have the can yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, it. yeah, there's a HD Geiger thing going on. I love it. Uh, a little bit of, yeah, it's it's awesome. Cool, thanks. Yeah, I'm drinking it out of a growler because we're on, we have one, we had one six still left. And so we tapped it so I could pull off uh, <laughs> some beer for this event. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, an homage to the band Tool. Mm. If you look at their first album, oh, uh, yeah. uh, Enema. Uh, it's it's a direct homage to that with an H.R. Geiger influence. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's one of my favorite labels. And when we first did this beer, we don't do it anymore because it was outrageously expensive. 
and you just can't justify doing something like that. But like we did a a black UV light label where it looked exactly the way it looks currently. But if but on the original iterations of this beer, if you took a and you put it under a black light, there was a oh. hidden message that was in the artwork that you couldn't see without a black UV light. That's that is ah oh, that's very tool and that's very like. I'm not a metal fan at all, but that album is just is yeah, oh, it is it's just fantastic, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. where the name Invisible Art. That's where it came from. Like yeah. the idea that you could hide something that was beautiful, that's in plain sight, but it's yeah. invisible. Um, yeah. So, are you able to reveal what the message was, or is that something that can collectors need to go back and <sighs> like? I uh, can't. You know, I can't kiss and tell. But uh, you know, th- it was. Uh, it was a riff on our manifesto, okay. which, I mean, it's 10 years old at this point. Like we're not, we don't even reference it that much anymore, but it, it was a story like in text overlaid yeah. on the image. So, and it was so like, not a neon, recipe. so not a recipe purple. for hash cookies. <laughs> yep. 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 So anyway, so the beer itself is, I love black IPAs. I, I, you know, I'm very biased. I'm not going to spin it. I, I love black IPAs, but I love black IPAs that straddle the line between mm-hmm. a porter or even stout yeah. territory where it, it has all of the qualities that you want in a, a heavy porter or a, mm-hmm. a lighter stout. Like it's black, it's rich, it's full bodied, it's opaque. You know, it's got all that roast that you love. But on the flip side, it's got that West Coast vibe of tropical yet dank, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it, it's like, what? Wait, what? It, it, you know, you like, so you're smelling it. You're like, oh my God, this is going to be the best IPA ever. You know, it it, it it just wafts out of the a glass. And again, once it warms up, it's mosaic Simcoe and Sriracha mm-hmm. Ace. So there's lemon, citrus, but it's got, it's a mosaic and that and that kind of weedy dankness you sometimes get from Simcoe. Um, and then you drink it and you're like, what the fuck? What is happening? You know, it's yeah. it's just this umami-like experience. It's got black mm. sesame seeds in it. Um it's got black sesame so, seeds in it. Yeah. So, you know, it we uh I mean, I love umami generally speaking in cooking and so like in beer where it gives you that kind of savoriness as you drink a little nuttiness again as it warms up it becomes more obvious uh, at first yeah. glance sometimes people miss it but it's bitter mm. but not just stout bitterness it's like ipa bitterness you know yeah. what i mean it's yeah hot, tropical bitterness that you know <laughs> so i love this beer again don't let me influence you too much you make your own decision it's also 10 percent, which i also love <laughs> <laughs> But you're right about the. Well, you go, David. I was going to say, well, you're right about the mouthfeel, and I was about Mm. to sort of ask about that whether that is only because of the sort of alcohol within it, or is is there a reason why it sort of has that big feeling in the mouth, which is, which is just fantastic. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we obviously brewed a big beer. It's 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 basically like a a lighter version of some of our stouts, but um, it's also got rye in it, so. Again, you could classify it as a rye IPA, like Firestone Walker, which is a California brewery that I love. They make a Wookiee Jack, which is a rye IPA, black IPA. And, you know, obviously that influenced us a little bit. 
um, sublimely self-righteous from stone brewing out of California also was a huge influence back in, you know, 2015 when I was like thinking about this beer. Mm. Um, but the idea of making something that kind of, you know, at face value resembled a stout, yeah, but had all the qualities of a West coast IPA. Mm. It's like, yes, yes. And yes. Um, but yeah, it's full bodied. I mean, this is definitely mm. doesn't have the light dryness that you would get from a normal Imperial IPA West Coast style. Um, it's really I I love the fact this is so different for us because when we talk about black IPAs in this for well, once we've tried, David, I'm sure it is like it's an IPA or West Coast IPA, which is just a little bit darker. Whereas, yeah, this is absolutely a dark beer, which has those other West Coast characters. So it comes at it from a, a, a different angle. And I love the difference. It's like, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> in a great way, in a great way. But it's, it's, I love the angle that this has taken. It's, it's incredible. Is this a style that's, Poppy, you've named some some big sort of famous ones there, but is it a style that you, you could walk into most bars and find, you know, in the fridge, or is it still really a pretty specialty kind of kind of drink? I, I wish that this was a popular style. <laughs> it is absolutely not a popular style. It was a popular style and from like 2015 to like the first half of 2016, and then it just you know went precipitously downhill from there. Luckily, I you know, and again, I. I I, I try to be ex extremely humble about anything that we make, and it's always a work in progress. And I always want to make it better. But I, that said, I, I think this is a beautiful beer that kind of redefines what the style should be. Or, you know, in my mind, like this is when I think black IPA, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. And again, there are lighter, more IPA driven iterations of beers like this. And I love those as well. Uh, but to me, you know, some people would say, oh, it's just a hoppy stout. I'm like, eh, stouts are hoppy. Stouts are hoppy. Stouts are hoppier than the hoppiest IPA. Like most people don't realize that, just mm. how high the IBUs have to be to counteract all of that sugar and mm. malt, you know. But like a beer that is really a full-bodied, you know, kind of porter to stout driven beer that has all the qualities of a West coast tropical IPA. Like, yes, yes, yes. That's what it should be. So it's a beer I'm very proud of and a beer I, I like quite a bit. And I hope, I hope it'll have a you know resurgence at some point hmm. in the future. <laughs> well, it's drinking beautifully. I've got to it say. It is drinking beautifully. Yeah. Um, Mark, I thought um, we could go back and talk about your journey a little bit, particularly because I unfortunately missed the last time that we uh, spoke to Adroit Theory. Um, we talked you... about you quite a bit at that podcast, as I recall. Thank you, bud. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. I said we talked about you quite a bit at that podcast. Oh, so... <laughs> no, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I haven't, yeah. You should I... go back and listen, Warren. You know, yeah, some I should of the episodes are and... really quite good. Um, no, the only ones I don't listen to are the one where I'm talking. So it's, yeah, it's funny that. Yeah, um, we get that from the listeners a lot, actually. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, let's talk about Mark because he's spending his Saturday chatting to us. 
David. Uh, how did you start your journey? What, were you a home brewer at the beginning? Were you, yeah, were you in your garage, you know, listening to listening to Sepultura um, brewing beer? Uh, Sepultura, yes. Home brewing, sadly, no. Ah. Uh, I actually came about this through my, which I'm sure we're all on the same page with this, just absolute love, infatuation mm -hmm. with beer in general, craft beer specifically, local beer, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I had, you know, when I was uh, an idiot in college, drank, you know, the least expensive beer that they had and, you know, everything everybody else did. But I, uh, I did one of those studies abroad in England. Um, and while I was there, I got exposed to cask beer. I got exposed mm -hmm. to, you know, the idea that, you know, that this local pub and this was their local bitter and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, wow, like this is crazy. And, and I love it. And I went back to America and I was like, what the, like, you know, it hadn't happened yet. Um, and so I just, I, I, from a fan customer perspective threw myself into learning everything I could about beer and breweries. I went tour and did a bunch of stuff. And I just, you know, I, I was at the point, this is, again, this is in like 2011, a couple of years before we actually opened. Hmm. And I was like, you know, Virginia needs a brewery that makes the types of beers that I, as a consumer am interested in. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I've never brewed a beer in my life, but you know what? I feel confident that I can find people that can help me create my vision of what I want to make to represent, you know, Virginia as a whole, myself as a customer. And, you know, I kind of blindly went into it and said, you know, this is what we're going to do and put my mind to it. And that's what we did. Yeah. Wow. Who were those people that you found when you sort of said that you, you know, how did all of that work and who who's been on the journey with you so you know i spent a lot of time at the beginning kind of like coming up with the concept and the branding and the i you know the aesthetic aspect of it mm. and you know making sure that like when people saw it like you know it wasn't for everybody but it was what it was like if you yeah. were who we were targeting and you were into what i was into then you would love it so I spent a lot of time on that. And by doing that, I attracted people that wanted to do the same thing, right? Like they mm -hmm. were like, you know, I'm a brewer and, you know, I, you know, I'm into this. Like you haven't even done it yet, but I, you know, I, I can see the vision. I can see what you're trying to do. So my first brewer was a guy named Greg who was fantastic. He was, I mean, he was fantastic. He he had, he had lived all over the world and he was exposed to so many different things in, in doing that. He was a foodie. We had a lot in common. So like, you know, it was very natural working with him and he is who helped me start the brewery and, and really, really push the envelope in terms of, I mean, God, I mean, <laughs> the things we did in 20, like 13 and 2014, people are just now doing now. And it's just like, wow, you know, like we were really ahead of the curve. Um, and so then he, uh, realized you can't make any money, uh, doing that. So he went back to his government job, which was really well. Uh, and so his assistant, Brian, um, who was my main man, him and I worked together, uh, since he left, um, for, I mean, seven or eight years and Brian was the best. Unfortunately, Brian passed away, 
oh. last year. Wow. Yeah, last year he just unexpectedly, and that was just like holy crap. Um, so anyway, so then it was like, wow, now I need to actually hire somebody. So I ended up, uh, you know, recruiting, and I found uh, our current brewer's name is Russ. He is awesome. He is a machine. And uh, he started working full time for me in January of this year. And he's, you know, a little bit more production minded uh, and more you know efficiency minded, which is a good thing. But he also has his own ideas. As a matter of fact, this is his baby. Like he made this beer. Um, he made uh, some other beers, which I'll tell you about at the end of the podcast that you guys are getting unexpectedly. Uh, so remind me to tell you about that. Um but uh yeah no i mean it's it i've had three brewers in 10 years so i figure that's a pretty good you know that's tenure really yeah um but you know people that are passionate about what they're doing and executing on you know the ideas that we come up with collectively and do they have to have good taste in music if they well it's funny you should say that yeah. uh it's funny you should say that because brian my the, the second brewer uh he tolerated metal music is how I would phrase. <laughs> he was not so much. He he liked gangster rap. It was really weird. It was, he was into gangster rap from 1990 through 1992. That was the only <gasps> window that he was into. Like if he was outside of that window, I mean, he had no... So like Public Enemy. Uh... Oh, like much harder than that. Like I'm, I love Public Enemy. I mean, that's more my jam, but he was yeah. into like Tupac and like, like ice or OG ice tea, like ice tea. Although that was maybe a hair on the early side of things, but he was, I mean, he was, he was just, he was a, wow. he, was, he was a character. I mean, he was, he had this hoopty that he drove around. I mean, it was crazy. We would, I would get in the car and he'd put this, I'm like, you know, and there we go. And off we'd go on some crazy adventure. But uh, yeah, there's a, a similar yeah. level of energy there, I think, in a lot of ways. Like for me, as, kind of a, a outside observer of both worlds there is a similar energy i think what do you think david uh i'm sort of more with james on this one about that you know that 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 niche of gangster rap two years it sounds like a trivia sort of show <laughs> sort of special <laughs> topic and you know how we have brian and his special topic is you <laughs> know. gangster rap from 1990 to 1992 yeah, no, you could have an entire Jeopardy episode on this guy. He was a character. He was a character's character. Oh. And we miss him very much. He loved gangster rap. He loved, oh God, Jesus Christ. Who did he like? It was it was one of the one of the guys in Bone Thugs in Harmony, which was this very Oh niche. yeah, I love the way they go. Yeah, well anyway, it was it was one of the guys from that kind of broke away and did his own yeah. thing, and that's what he wanted to. But anyway, it was just a character. But he tolerated the metal music that we play and we continue to play and Russ loves and everybody who works for me loves, uh, <laughs> you know, what, we, what we, was we, his beer? What was the beer that you would say that he pioneered for Adroit theory? Well, it's funny. Uh, so uh, two beers, two beers. Yep. I know you only asked for one, but it yeah, yeah. illustrates, okay. it illustrates, he, he, Brian and, if he was here today and all the friends that knew him, if they're listening, he was a walking contradiction. Okay. He did he did one thing and the other thing at the same time, yet in somehow perfect harmony, like it made sense. So there were two beers. 
The first beer is a beer called Strictly for My Grind. It was a it was inspired by Bone Thugs lyrics. Mm-hmm. It was a 5.1% Kolsch, which is you know a clean classic ale yeah. style of a lager. We had never made one, you know, for five years, six years, you know, being a business. But he wanted to make one of those because that's what he wanted to drink during the day. And so we're <laughs> like, okay, no, like that's what we'll make. Strictly from a grind. I mean, it was a beautiful beer, and and it took several iterations. But by the time we got to the final iteration, I mean, it was a nice. We still make it. It's a nice beer. Awesome. And then he made a beer called Demons Surround Me, which was a twenty percent. I mean, beyond Russian Imperial Stout, like you know, like extreme Russian Imperial yeah. Stout, you know he patterned it off of like dogfish heads worldwide stout. I mean, it was a, just this monster of a beer with all of this nuance and, and, and dried fruit esters and booziness, but not so much. I mean, it was crazy. So that was him. He brewed this beautiful, light, delicate, two style Kolsch Mm -hmm. German style. And then he brewed this absolutely extreme, metal edition 20% stout that was just like Jesus Christ like what what <laughs> yeah I mean and that was him that was him that you know that's what he did incredible that's a really good answer can I say I love I love that contrast it's um yeah. it's fantastic and uh I really want to sort of hear more about that journey that you've been on and I guess you know we we love as you know to sort of pull the curtain back and talk about some of the, the difficult sides of owning a brewery, but in terms of the positives, after 10 years, what do you look back on and what have been the best aspects about the whole journey for you? Well, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm running a brewery is exponentially harder project than I would have ever imagined. Like, even if I, you know, before I opened the day we opened, like, oh my God, you know, what do you think is the hardest thing's going to happen to you? Multiply that, whatever I said by a hundred. Okay. That's, you know, an average day. I mean, it's, it's a very challenging business. Mm-hmm. That said, what surprised me and pleased me the most was that I was not alone on the idea that Virginia and the US and craft beer in general, that I could make something that resonated with people all over the world. Mm. You know, it's not for everybody. You know, I wasn't trying to make a beer that made everybody happy, but I could make beers that people not just liked, not just said, hey, yeah, this is pretty good. Like they fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. And those people live in America, in Europe, and oh, by the way, in Australia. <laughs> you know, like just that's what was like the biggest, like, wow, you know, like people, people are into what I wanted to do and would be willing to spend. I, I don't know how much it costs in Australia, but my guess is it's not inexpensive, but you know, that they would be willing to spend their hard earned money to join me in the journey of something that, mm. you know, I was into. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, they're, they're not cheap, but they're also for what you get out of them. It's amazing. And this beer, yeah. as you said, as it's warmed up, has just become better and better. I've only about halfway through my can, I've got to confess, but it's, I think it's one of those ones that, you know, 
you can almost leave to the side and come back in half an hour and get another little different. It'll be better. Yeah, it'll be better in half an hour. Yeah. Is, but, are there particular things that will change for people again newer to the craft craft beer scene? That idea of even having beers at room temperature for some people would be a a novelty. But um, what sort of things should be they be looking for? Which of those flavors are going to come out more as as things start to change? In well, it's funny, you know, like. Uh, I, you know, even as somebody that was really into beer and craft beer, and I'd go to places that had, you know, multiple refrigerators for their beers at different temperatures and, you know, and Cascale, you know, I mean, like, I'm like, okay, but like in reality, how much temperature affects, you know, flavor is, is just even to this day, still shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as well as, you know, what you had that preceded it, you know, I mean, even not, even not alcohol, food, and, you know, just how flavor changes. I mean, it changes so much. It's crazy. But uh, I mean, with this specific beer, I mean, you know, it, it is, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think the roastiness and some of the more subtle kind of like, I would classify, I'm not soy, I mean, soy sauce is a kind of a general descriptor, but like, it's got this umami thing going on in the background that you know you might associate with hot bitterness but that's really being derived from that sesame um mm-hmm. that i think becomes much more apparent as it warms and becomes you know more expressive um you know the hops i mean it's still not like some like you know hop bomb of you know aroma but like it you know the more it sits, the more it opens up, you mm-hmm. know, kind of flower wood in your house. Um, and we, uh, interesting story. So when we first brewed this beer, it was, it's always been mosaic with Simcoe, which Simcoe is a beautiful hop that I love quite a bit, but it's got that danky, almost like cat pee type thing going on. But the third beer or third hop in the equation was Sriracha Ace, which is about as, odd of a hop as you can get it tends to be very lemon forward it's a japanese hop Mm. and it's usually used in very light delicate things like saison or you know just i mean it's a weird hop and we've done it historically with those three hops and i i love it on this particular batch that you're drinking we could not find enough sriracha ace to brew a even one small batch of it. Like it, it's a very obscure hop. So yeah. what we ended up doing was making a substitution, which we've never done. Uh, and we went with a New Zealand hop called Southern Cross, which yeah. is also a light and delicate, you know, weird yeah. hop. Um, but it's a it's about 40% Sriracha, 60% Southern Cross. Um to me, I, I mean, for someone who's had multiple iterations of this, I can, you know, smell and taste the difference. But I think conceptually, you know, it's the same or at least the same enough. But uh, just an interesting point. While we're talking about the ingredients of this, uh, James, our uh, our parent expert, parenting expert in the podcast today, uh, he asks this awesome question. And I'm going I'm to read it out word for word. Is sesame a hard ingredient to work with? We hear about oils from nuts killing the head, but there's plenty of foam here. 
So yeah, it, what what's it like working with Sesame? Because Sesame is one of those things. I don't think we've discussed it with any other. I don't group, think we ever have I either. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, generally speaking, any, you know, nut or seed-derived oil definitely crushes head retention and, and, and it makes it, the beer harder to carbonate and, and things like that. And so we, a lot of times with some of our adjunct stouts, for instance, that we might, you know, condition on nuts, I mm. mean, you know, it's extremely suppressed yeah. um luckily this particular beer um you know we it has quite a bit of oats in it um mm. we i mean the rye helps i mean anything you know any of those more kind of stout driven malt decisions yeah. helps with uh you know building that that base um and again the amount of uh seeds we added i think as a percentage is pretty low yeah, it was more of just like a note versus, you know, like some of our stouts says just as a frame of reference, we might add three or four or five or six pounds of nuts or whatever mm -hmm. per barrel. You know, so a very high percentage. I mean, it just crushes uh, head retention. You know, getting getting those uh, those molecules to line up to create that nice fluffy head is is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fascinating. That's good to hear. I reckon this might be a good place for us just to pause the recorded version of things at the very least uh, and start to mentally prepare ourselves for the future kill. What do you reckon, Warren? Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Well, we're back here. We're in the Zoo Room on a lovely Sunday afternoon if you're in Melbourne on a Saturday night if you're in Purcellville uh, in Virginia. Uh, we're well, lucky to be joined. Let's make sure we're saying that right. Purcellville? Purcellville, yes. Well, I didn't say it right, but I'm leaving it in there just to show how Australians are welcome to mangle language. We're here. We've got the future kill in front of us. It's delicious. If you weren't in the Zoom room with us, then you missed the chat in between where we talked about cricket statistics. We talked margarita recipes, and by golly, there's some good ones of those. We've covered a range of subjects, and we know what's coming up. This is the beer. Look, don't get me wrong. I love that black IPA, but this is the one that I've been looking forward to throughout the whole thing, not the least of which is because I love the artwork on it. And the artwork reminds me of my new favourite thing in Melbourne, which is that Iron Maiden have got their own tram in Melbourne. Uh, oh, wow. Done with Iron Maiden future past livery. But there's something even better than that, which people in the Zoom room will appreciate if Mark may not, which is that it's running on the Malvern line. Uh, so not out to the western <laughs> suburbs where all the Iron Maiden fans like us are. It's going out to the most conservative suburb in Melbourne. And I just can't wait for the good people of Malvern to be assaulted by Eddie in his future past livery for the next uh, six months. That's funny. That's fun. It is. I had not heard about that. That's really funny. No, it literally came off my Instagram during the break there. So it was just, it makes me so happy. All right. And and I'm going to put a, I'm going in a similar vein. Uh, let's talk about what you have to talk about at the end, Mark, and what we're all super excited to talk about when it comes to what's coming to Australia. 
It, this well, feels we, like one of those knife ads where you go, yeah, 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 yeah. not only and can you enjoy these six <laughs> great beers from Adroit Theory, but wait, you want more. Yeah, you want more? <laughs> <laughs> wait until you hear what's coming. So, yeah, let's leave that out there as a, as a what, 1.26pm Eastern Standard Time scoop. Absolutely. Let's talk future kill. Mm. What should we be seeing in the glass? It's obviously a very different kind of beer to the first two we've been tasting today. Uh, probably a style that we associate with you guys a bit more, but let's talk through what we're looking at in the glass, what we're smelling, what we're tasting. Take us through the experience, Mark. Sure. So, um, you know, we, you know, it's funny where I think generally speaking, in a broad sense of the term, really known more for our stouts and our big malty beers than anything because that was the first beers we came out with and you know we kind of went went down that path but we've been making hazies now for six years and uh obviously i'm biased but i do think you know the current iteration of these things is the best that they have ever been uh in terms of a beer that you know smells the part it smells great it looks the part and then most importantly taste the part and i and, I, and I, hopefully we can dive a little bit deeper into that aspect of things because i think it's very important to make a beer that not just smells great but that it tastes great absolutely so, yeah, future baby so this is actually one of the only beers that we i was able to find a can of future kill yeah. it is a great, great looking can yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's worth it yeah yeah no uh now it's funny. Uh, if you really want a chuckle, uh, if you go on Untapped, and we made a beer called, and I apologize, it was either called Cold Nights, or it was possibly called Cold Woods. I I can't remember which, but it was one of those two, and it actually used the original art from this label, but mm-hmm. it was like black and white, and it was very minimalistic, um, and then um. I work with uh, I work with a variety of designers, but one of my main designers is this guy named Damien uh, Destroyer, who really kind of takes our you know like we come up with the artwork and then he takes it and embellishes it to the point where you're you're just like it's almost unrecognizable. Um, and so, like if you go and you look at the artwork from that earlier uh, release, and then you look at this, you're just like, like how is that the same artwork? It's the same artwork. It's just like he embellished it to the point where. It has this just absolutely wicked, futuristic, sci-fi, Blade Runner, into the world, apocalyptic look to it, right? And, uh, you know, anyway, I think it's awesome. Hopefully you guys like it. Future kill. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, so... I genuinely love it, but I'm also interested to sort of know how, how it goes when you're trying to sell a beer like this, because you could also put a lovely almost orchard scene or something on the front of this. You could you could have a very different way of marketing the beer. How does it work to try and sort of sell a beer that tastes like this with imagery, which appeals to David in, you know, Melbourne, but how does it actually help you sell the beer? So, you know, I mean, uh, the... Uh, it's a trick. You have to, 
as experimental as we like to be and as genre pushing as we like to be and as metal as we like to be at the end of the day we have to sell beer right mm-hmm. uh, luckily we've been very successful in in that regards um you know both with our wholesalers and our retailers and obviously with end user re- you know consumers who are willing to shell out the bucks to get it um but we haven't the one thing we haven't done is deviated from what we did day one like if you go back and look at some of our earlier artwork you know some of it's a little bit more rudimentary it's not as sophisticated as it is today but at the end of the day like it didn't say a joint theory ipa you know juicy 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 or you know whatever like it it said a joint theory but it might have been on the back of the can like in font this big because like it didn't matter like at the end of the day like I i had a vision of what i wanted the art to look like aesthetically it should be art driven you know, the name of the beer, the concept about how it all interreacts. You know, yes, it is a Drake theory. And, you know, mm. obviously I don't want to not brand myself, but, you know, it should have a look and feel to it. And I think we've been very consistent with that. And and we've done literally hundreds and hundreds and I mean, probably thousand at this point, different beers. And at the end of the day, they all look unique and standalone. But if you lined all of them up and looked at them as like a totality. They all had a look and a feel to them. And that was the brand more so than, you know, like stone brewing or Lagunitas where like, that's, those are the first words you see. And that's all you see. It's just, this is Lagunitas IPA. You're just like, okay, that's cool. But like, I wanted us to have like a look and a feel to it. And, and this beer is the same thing. Like, Adroit Theory is on this label, but Jesus Christ. It, I, I, oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> they're, the, like, yeah, they're the second band on the on the poster. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're not buying, I mean, you're buying it because it is Adroit Theory, but you're also buying it because it has a look and a feel to it that, like, you immediately can identify and it resonates with you, mm. assuming you're into what we're doing. What does it add to the price and what does it add to the complexity of the process for you to have to have things like that as opposed to just the plain label with a different color and the same words in the same font every time. I mean, I'm sure it's part of the joy of it as well as getting to work with people who can produce things like this, but it must add another cog of complexity into the machine. I mean, tremendous amount of complexity and and expense and cost and time. And, you know, Every time I'm like, oh, we almost made a profit. And I'm like, yes, but let's make a new label, you know. <laughs> uh, let's have this one appear only in x-ray machines. Or You have to have x-ray glasses. to, <laughs> And we'll mail them to you, but you have to use this QR code. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I mean, I, I'd be frank with you. I mean, it's, uh, you know, from a business perspective, I, I have tried to simplify things and, you know, streamline things so that, like, it's not just completely so obtuse and obscure that uh, you know there it, it makes zero sense but that said i mean we make i mean we're dropping i mean conservatively five six seven beers every single week that are new and unique and wow. you know no, i mean that's just crazy you know <laughs> yeah. and 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 all of the labels and all of the upc codes and all of the you know stuff that goes along with it it's a lot but mm-hmm. You know, I do it because like, you know, I like I, I collect things like I like records. I mean, I like a variety of things, but like records comes to mind because like, you know, if there's a band you're into, you know, 
there's their albums and then there's their EPs and then there's their singles and then there's the Japanese singles and then there's the European variants of the B-side, you know, single. And it's just like, it's a whole thing of like, wow, you know, and each one has its own cover and its own gatefold and mm-hmm. track listing. And I, mean, I just like that kind of stuff. Like I'm into variants and details and alternatives. And I just like that kind of stuff. So I, I tried to make a beer that like, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff too, you might appreciate all the details. Yeah. That's it. A lot of our customers, they just walk in, they're like, yeah, I'll just take your latest IPA. And you're just like, you mean this limited gatefold holographic 3D image that I made? They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. They're, they're the ones who got the uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi or what's his, what's his name, the Boba Fett, out of the plastic packaging, you know, in those first Star Wars things and played with it and the leg fell off. And, you know, if they, if only they'd just put it safely in a drawer they somewhere. They kept it in mint condition. They could have paid for their college tuition for their child. <laughs> so, I like all those types of things. Mark in the uh, Zoom room chat has actually asked a really sensible question, given what you've just said. Um, like, in terms of you know, you're saying you're putting out five or seven liters, uh, five or seven different beers a week. How many tanks have you got? What's the average sort of production size? How does all of that look? Because you know, again, you say you're a small enterprise, but five or seven beers a week, you clearly must have a bit of kit going around there to make all of that work. I, I, you, you're, I don't think like most, I mean, again, you know, like we're not like so teeny tiny that like, it's just like nothing, but like, we're very small. So like, if you come to the brewery and I take you on a little tour and you went in, in into our production area, like we have a 10 barrel vessel. I don't know what that translates to hectoliters, but you know, it's relatively small. Um, I think we have two or three 20 barrel tanks. And then we have like four 10 barrel tanks and then we have a couple of bright tanks and then we have a couple like smaller vessels. Um, so, you know, I mean, we can make 120 barrels a month ourselves, mm-hmm. which it really is not a lot of beer. Like we nah. shouldn't be distributing that in Australia. I mean, that's, you know, like it, that's not a lot of beer. Um we also do contract brew, not as much as we we have in the past, but we do like contract space at another brewery and, and they can brew some bigger batches for us. But a lot of what we do is, you know, we make our, our base beers or, or like our more like experimental or like small batch beers. And then we'll brew some bigger batches of some bigger beers and then we'll bring them in house and we'll adjunct them or we'll manipulate them in, in a way where we can package them as as something new. So like, you know, we might take a stout that we contract brewed and bring it in house and add coffee and maple syrup yeah. to it and then package it. And, you know, now it's a new beer. That's um, really clever. Yeah. That's super clever. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like we, we were able to make a lot of beers. And again, when I say five to seven, some of those beers, like, you know, like we might have one keg of it or, you know, <laughs> five cases of it. Like I mean, it's, teeny tiny but like we went to the effort of making it and, and packaging it and making it unique um so that it's always something interesting you know for the customers we don't we don't we make very few draft only releases you know what i mean like it's almost always packaged and you know it's exciting because it's you know it's got a name it's got a whole story and you know it's extremely limited Mark, <laughs> one of our new favorite questions oh sorry Warren, but one of our new favorite questions is 
you know, if Santa's on his way and he's got his uh, he's got his sleigh, he's putting a special bit of brewing equipment in there that you don't already have in the brewer in the brewery. Is there something you'd really like to have a new toy, a new gadget, a new bit of equipment to that would make life easier? Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, number one is I would. I mean, it's not equipment, but I would order more space. Like we are in this little teeny tiny. I mean, part of what has pigeonholed us is that we're in this little teeny tiny space. There's no room to do anything. Uh, you have to move five things to get to the one thing that you want. And then you do it. And then you move the other five things back. I mean, it's just a lot of that type of nonsense. What I really um, like is that most brewers now are not answering with a piece of equipment. They're either yeah. asking for things like space, time, or money. <laughs> you know, oh, I yeah, think- no money. Money, I'd like if I had an infinite budget, the amount of the things I could do, if I had just no concerns of like, you know, I have to pay for this or I have to sell this, you know, I mean, the things I could do. And if I had the time and energy, I would just be like, oh my God, these people's brains would. Yeah. I mean, that's the same uh, for me. And I'm not a brewer. So, you know, it's. (laughs) So, you know, the answer to your question about equipment, like, I mean, there's. So when we contract brew, the place we contract brew at, they have a centrifuge. Yeah. And they also have like a plate filtering uh, machine, which is great. So like we brew stout there and when they centrifuge it, I mean, we brew other stuff there too, but like it's primarily stout, but you know, it it's centrifuge, they're stripping out all that yeast, they're plate filtering, they're stripping out all that yeast. It's beautiful. What is, what is plate filtering? Your centrifuges we're familiar with. Plate filtering, is that just about how you make sure that there's not unwanted crockery in your beer or what's that all about? Yeah, it, it's basically centrifuge strips out the majority of, you know, your yeast and debris and then you plate filter. And usually you're plate filtering like light, delicate beers where they're trying to be crystal clear, you know, and there's, you know, nothing in the beer. Um, you don't typically plate filter a, a stout, but we do it so that we have a base that we can now add a bunch of junk to, to you know, to make it the way we want it to be yep. um nice. with with less concern concern of it you know re-fermenting because we just added a bunch of sugar to it mm. uh post-fermentation so uh you know that's why we do that but i would love to have a centrifuge because like this future kill it's a nice beer this particular batch is you know it's not centrifuged it's you know we conditioned it and dropped out the yeast and we packaged it but the nice thing about centrifuging is it makes your beer more shelf stable it makes it so that, um, you know, it tastes more like it did on day one, on day 90, than it might without centrifuging it. Because you don't have all these other elements in the beer. Um, and, you know, we we don't have one. We don't even have room. Even if we had an unlimited budget, we don't have room to put one in the brewery. So um, when we contract brew, some of our, and we have contract brewed our IPAs in the past. We haven't done it in a while, but we have. And. What's nice is we were able to centrifuge them and it's nice. They're, you know, they have less stuff in them when they show up in Australia uh, or Europe or Japan or wherever. Um, and it's nice, you know, less concerned about that. But right now, you know, that's just not in the card in the cards. Is that something you think about? I think we may have asked you last time you were on the show, but you know, are there certain beers that you wouldn't send to Australia? Are there sort of things that you think really just sort of need to be served fresh and is there ever a, not a worry, because again, we love the people from Forward Hops. We know that they take enormous care, but just that sort of general thing about, you know, what's it like as a brewer to know that these beers will be sitting in a container somewhere, you know, on their way over? Well, you know, shout out to Forward Hops because 
I mean, we send beer to a variety of places. They're the only ones that are going out of their way and paying the expense of keeping it cold, which is, I mean, you would think that would be how they all do it, but it is absolutely not how, you know, the majority of them is done. Um, so I have zero concern shipping to Australia, but to answer your question, we make a variety of like fruited beers or just these like cream, cream stouts or, you know, just these smoothie style beers, you know, that I would never send to Australia because by the time they got there, they would just, you know, they'd be a hot mess, right? They're made to be consumed, you know, in two weeks or three weeks, you know, and, and those are really exciting beers people get very excited about it they see these beers like oh my jesus christ what is that you know like oh my god it's a pina colada beer and there's a pineapple coming out of the top of it you know you're like wow you know and you know they get excited and they come and they're delicious but they are made to be consumed in like two weeks you know like two weeks is a long time you know so you know some people see those types of things on social media and they get very excited but you know distributing a beer like that would be very problematic I can totally see that. And Warren, you may have noticed there that I'm subtly trying to set up sort of a, a little bit of a segue into a conversation about, are there more things heading to Australia? Yeah, yeah. No, I did I did kind of catch what you were saying there, David. And so uh, in Australia, what should we be expecting to arrive on our shores a little bit more briskly than, than it did uh, a little while ago? I don't know well, how to put that in any other way, but tell us about the good stuff. <laughs> so, so the Ford Hops, great. We've got a good relationship with them. Um, I'd say on average, they're ordering twice a year, occasionally three times a year. Mm. Um, but they literally just hit us up a couple of days ago because I guess they had basically one pallet position that they needed to fill. Yeah. And basically wanted to know if we could help them out. So um, this coming Tuesday, they're picking up a pallet of beer from us that would probably be, you know, in country, you know, sometime in February, maybe early March. Um, some of the beers that are going on that pallet is a Czech dark lager that we just made called Baba Yaga, which... It's delicious. If you like damn it, I love that beer. I love it. That's gonna be. I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna drink so much of that. <laughs> yeah, delicious. Uh, we have two different stouts. Uh, one's called Ossuary. One's called What Evil Lurks. They're both double digit big. You know, kind of what you would expect full bodied stouts mm. from us. Um, and then a very small quantity of a wheat wine, which is kind of a niche. Beer is kind of similar to a barley wine, but it's got that that kind of wheat, you know, fruity esters. Uh, without without sort of spoiling, what, look, I don't think I've ever seen a wheat wine over here. Barley wines we're familiar with. Wheat wine, just roughly speaking, the process. How long? How old is it? Is it sort of a fresh one, or is that something to tuck away in the cellar and see how it develops? Uh yeah, no, it absolutely is a beer. I mean, it's not as you know as. This particular, this specific beer is 10%, whereas a lot of the barley wines we do are more in that like 12 to 14% range. They do tend to age better, but it is a beer that tastes great today, but, you know, it's going to taste great in six months, nine months, 12 months, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, a copper colored caramel forward, but with all of that kind of, 
you know, banana clovey notes you might get from a wheat oh, yeah. beer, yeah. but in a big full bodied 10% beer. Whoa. It's called Season Witch. Uh, I think they're getting like seven cases. It's not going to stick around. If you're into that kind of thing, I would definitely buy it. But the, I mean, those are all great beers. But what's mm-hmm. particularly exciting is there was <laughs> zero, zero opportunity. And he's one I prepared earlier, says Mark, who was well and truly ready for this. Oh, I'm always ready, baby. I'm always working. (laughs) Always. Uh, But again, and it wasn't that I didn't want it to happen. I would love for this to go to Australia. It just just didn't line up with when they were going to be picking beer up. Mm. But when they called us up and said, hey, you know, can you basically pull off beer from your tasting room to help us fill this palate that we need? Luckily, I mean, it just everything worked out. But anyway. We made this beer. Uh, we just released it yesterday. Yesterday being December fourteenth, it's yeah. called the official compendium of flavor fantasy. <laughs> it is a Dungeons and Dragons. Is that, is that the four four A edition, or what are we gonna? Yeah, this is this is yes, this is a uh, this is the second edition. We 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 made this beer last year, but it is a four pack of four different beers with a very distinct. Dungeons and Dragons theme. I am uh, breaking out the D20s as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a little screen grab of you opening this as well, just so that we can have maximum effect. Yes. I don't know. There's a little bit of a reflection. I don't know. Can you guys see that all right? Yeah. Uh, that's, that Packaging looks, is gold. Probably amazing. Look so, like I said, this beer just came out literally yesterday. Try not to mutilate the box here opening it. There we go. Oh, well, there goes the Boba Fett factor. So uh, let's see what we got here. That looks like a character sheet for a level two paladin. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, the official compendium, which is, by the way, if you're into D&D, this is based on advanced D&D, which yeah. came out in like 1978 and 1982. Uh-huh. A D for those playing at home. Yeah, so mm. it's four beers and each features a character. So this is Necro Simeon. It has <laughs> all of the power moves and all of the specific... <laughs> You know, the vital stats. Uh, that's... Yeah, all the stats for, you know, what this character does. It's This is a New Zealand style pilsner 5.1 percent absolutely yeah. Fresh, delicious yeah it wow. also includes uh this little gem which is a hazy triple ipa I, lo- I love the illustrations are exactly from the classic compendium like the ad and yeah, we, we don't mess I'm around just waiting for a rust monster i want a red yeah, so- ipa rust monster yeah not so much. This is uh, a Russian Imperial Stout. Yeah, it's called Abyssal Death Dread. <laughs> it is a, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, dude. Like oh yeah, that's a scary looking monster. Yeah, you know, and yeah. stuff. And last <laughs> the saving roll for that one is going to be really hard. <laughs> yeah, you wait till the die comes out for this one. So this is called Void Bringer. It is Whoa. a Russian Imperial Stout. That's actually a scary illustration. Like, I'm, yeah. So anyway, like I said, this beer is not for everybody. 
This beer is for, you know, the nerds. This is a beer for people that are 100% into D&D and like are ideally like around 50 years old and remember when this beer came out and they lost their minds and they're eight years old or whatever. It's beer Um, for our listeners. Let's be completely honest. (laughs) So anyway, 15 cases, you guys, the entire continent of Australia is getting 15 cases. So, and I am uh, genuinely riding with our friends at Forward Hops today to see how we can get our paws on some of that. Hopefully, they haven't promised it all to other breweries and, uh, I should say, bars that we know and love. Hopefully, yeah. there's a little bit there for the for the Cool Room podcast. But I, I suspect Purvis Sellers will, <laughs> will have a lot of the audience. That, yeah, and I suspect Carwin will as well. We, we know some of our friends who are very yeah, the, the the great beer the great beer stores in our city, uh, including the Cool Room Shopify store, which which all good nerds and science students <laughs> would definitely yeah, get on that right away. It's gonna be and, and what's crazy is it's. I mean, it, I can't even imagine what how much it's going to cost you. <laughs> Just like, but uh, it, you know, uh, it's. I but saw it is, a, I saw a Lego. Um, I saw a Lego, eighty <laughs> eighty for for like more money than I earn in a week. But you know, still interested. And you work for a bank, so like that's a huge statement in Australia. Yeah, I think we need to wrap things up, at least in the yeah. recorded version. Yeah. Uh, let's see if there's any audience questions. It's great to have some of our favourite friends here, here with us in the Zoom room. Uh, guys, if you have a question you'd like to ask, now is the time. Uh, you can type that in and we'll make sure that we throw it to you. But we're going to ask our traditional cool room question uh, to Mark. I reckon we might have done this last time, but maybe there's something new has emerged. Our traditional cool room question is, of course, what it's like. What's the most confronting, strange thing that's happened behind the scenes in the brewery, in a cold store facility or a fridge or whatever else. It's uh, I was playing lawn bowls yesterday against an 85-year-old man and we had nothing in common whatsoever until he explained to me that he had been at the bowls club until 3 o'clock in the morning that morning trying to fix the fridges so that the beer would be cold for the Christmas parties that they were having the next day. Have you got any refrigeration stories for us, Mark? <laughs> so... We bought when we started the brewery, we got we bought our cold box from a a, a restaurant that was like a steakhouse. Like they, you know, they did steaks. That's what they did. And so they disassembled it, shipped it to us. We reassembled it. But on once it was assembled, we realized there were all these like, you know, uh, uh, signs on the inside of the cold box like porterhouse you know like t-bone you know all this you know like where all they, they'd stored all the meat right so we're mm-hmm. just like holy shit like that's cool i thought it was going to be blood or something like that to be honest well, so that's the cold box it has signs so a couple years later we were you know making a beer and we made this like raspberry beer that was just it was more raspberry than beer mm-hmm. it looked like blood it was dripping and we were in the cold box trying to like carbonate this keg when it explode, like it just exploded out of the top of the keg and splattered the ceiling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it looked like brain matter blood splat. I mean, it looked like a crime scene. And it was so funny because it said, 
porterhouse steak. <laughs> so like right, like literally like right there. And I was just like, what the fuck? And so anyway, I took a picture of it and it looked like a crime scene. I was Is that the only time it. you've ever used a photo as a as can art? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I, have, I, I might. I have to pull that photo out because I mean it looked like a murder scene. Yeah. <laughs> and the porterhouse would be such a good named beer for that label to go on. And so when, I even like Porterhouse Slaughterhouse. In fact, that might be the name of the album. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, we, made it, we made a serial killer uh, series of beers earlier. They didn't, they were definitely polarizing, but uh, <laughs> you know, I could see making like a follow-up to that series where it was just like, you know, like this is the kill room, you know, or this is the, uh, you know. We did, I always well, remember the Mornington Peninsula Brewery here in Melbourne did make a serial killer beer, uh, but that was made with cornflakes as the, uh, as one of the models. Oh, oh that's that was serial. serial. That's right, yeah, that's, uh, Yes. That's my kind of dad joke. You know, I drank a bit of it just on the basis of the name alone. Speaking of men who like a dad Speaking joke, of dads. <laughs> James, you're here with us in the Zoom room. Why don't you unmute, my friend, and ask your question. You might have two, and we'll give you two. So, oh, You're very kind, David. Um, yes, man, wonderful to hear more about Detroit theory from you, Mark. Um, thanks for your time. I, I was interested in a lot of your beers are hazies. So here, a lot of people call them neepers. And I wondered what the basis for that was, because I also noted in New Zealand, they prefer hazy to Nipah. And I wondered if it was, you know, you're, you're trying not to alienate your West Coast customers or if there's another reason or a stylistic difference. That's a very good question. Uh, and, we should have got him on the uh, show earlier. I know, right? And 100 points for this pork chop. Uh, <laughs> those are, are freaking, uh, those are no joke. I love them. Um, so it's funny. Uh, so like, in America, the uh, you know the the style kind of originated in in New England mm. uh, with Alchemist in particular with Hetty Topper, um, and uh, at the beginning we actually call. I mean, we we didn't brew our first air quotes hazy air quotes New England IPA, and, and we brewed our first one in the beginning of 2017, and we were already two years behind at that point. Um, but we called them New England IPAs because that's what people associated it with was like Hetty Topper, um, like I mean, like Treehouse, I think had just started, you know, like a year prior and like, you know, hadn't really caught on just yet. But the big to me, the big difference with what you might call as a New England IPA is that they're using English ale three yeast as the primary driver of a lot of that flavor profile, as well as the aesthetic look of the beer, mm -hmm. which tends to be less opaque than some of the, what you would call modern hazy IPAs. Um, so once people started to realize that there was a difference between what Hetty Topper might look like which again was more of that kind of brownish ale look and it, it was hazed, but not hazy. Um, and that this like offshoot came out of like hazy and that's more of what we latched onto was. So what we do with our beers is we're always trying to make something that's very golden to white color in mm -hmm. terms of general 
color tonality and that again it depends what yeast generation the batch is but like you know it has this very opaque appearance to it versus like haze like haze like you can't see your fingers but like you see the outline of your fingers but like opaque means you can't see it at all mm-hmm. um uh and that they tend to be a much softer malt fuller what we call like pillowy type of malt mouthfeel is to me is like what the demarcation is between hazy and new England style. Um, but again, it's tomato, tomato, Imperial stout, Russian Imperial stout, you know, Imperial IPA, double IPA, triple IPA. I mean, you know, I mean, it's definitely not some clear cut, you know, you know, black versus white issue. It's more of just a nuance type thing. And I will tell you that like what we try to do, um, we, we definitely, there's certain IPAs that we don't like in terms of like hazy or New England, we're going to call them like, like that we don't aesthetically like, and we don't like the flavor profile, but like we try to make ours a certain way. And I'm not even saying that like that future kill you just tasted it is like, Oh yeah, that's it. That's perfect. That's exactly what needs to be. no, like it's something we're working on and and trying to drive towards this very light colored, opaque, whitish beer that just reeks of tropical citrus aromas, but has this very full bodied, very flavorful malt mouth feel to it uh, is really kind of what we're striving towards. It's a great question, can I say, James, and a great answer as well. Yeah. I've got another question, follow-up, though. Now I've engaged in the Spanish Inquisition. Anyway, yeah. um, but I was, I was going to ask about whether you adjust your water for hazies. Yes. Yeah, anyone who's not adjusting their waters, in my opinion, is really kind of missing out. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, there's some classic water profile. And again, you might be in a place where, like, the water coming out of the tap, it's exactly what you want, but I, my guess is it's not. Um, so there is definitely a tremendous amount of water chemistry adjustment that we do. And that my guess is everybody who's doing beers like that is doing to really make certain uh, things pop and make other things more suppressed. So Without it's basically giving away trade secrets, the yeah. profile. Yeah. Without hmm. giving away the trade secrets, what sort of stuff is that? And I guess, again, for home brewers, of which, you know, a huge part of our audience is that, are there things that people could do at home, you know, reasonably when they... Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it, it's a tricky one in that the baseline, what you're starting with, is all over the map. It just depends where you are and what it is. like. So, like, where we contribute for our salts is, is very sulfur high, you know, like that's just how it is. It comes out that way. So we're like, this is perfect for style. I mean, it's perfect. We don't have to do a lot to it. But like, if you just Google, you know, hazy New England, whatever style IPA water profile, it's going to spit out, you know, calcium, you know, I, I mean, like it, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, there's one that's going to be very good. Where James works and you can steal calcium chloride from there. Yeah. Calcium, yeah. One, one's going to be very, just leaves you know, a box very low. The bottom just for, Again, once you get the basics down, then you start adjusting based on your particular profile of of how you like things. And again, water is, I mean, I don't want to say it's the number one driver, 
it probably is the number one driver, but like it, it's very, very, very important. That said, if you don't, if you make a nice malt bill, make a nice hop bill, you make a nice yeast selection, you do, you know, you, you baby all these things, you can make a nice beer, even if you have shit water. I mean, like you can, it just, it's easier if you have nice, clean, neutral water and, and, you know, you increase your calcium chloride and, you know, I mean, like it's not that complicated, but at the end of the day, in my opinion, water is what it is where you live. You can adjust it as best you can. I mean, you can't strip things out unless you're going to spend a tremendous amount of money, but like you can enhance certain things. But at the end of the day, you write a nice recipe with nice malt, excellent selections in the right ratios you know, and you, you know, you spend the money and you get nice hops, you make smart decisions on the yeast. You can make a nice beer, even a home brewer in their kitchen. It, uh, like you say there, you know, spend the money. It's true of everything. It's true of beers that we get here in Australia. You know, it's true of ingredients. If you're willing to spend a little bit of money, then you get something that's a truly quality, exciting product. I think today's been a testament to that. James, did you have one more question lurking there? I did. I'm just working through ingredients, David. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned some really spicy hops already. So they're, they're quite new, like Southern Cross. And you mentioned Mochweka earlier. And I wondered if you've got a, an ear to the ground on what, you know, the the new hop, the, the new training hop. I mean, we have a a few coming out of New Zealand that I think is uh, really exciting, like, you know, Nectaron and Superdelic or NZH102. Can't imagine why they renamed NZH102. But anyway, um, they, but, you know, there's all these great hops that are coming out. And I wondered if you have your ear to the ground as to what the next trend will be. This is, again, an excellent. That's a very good, excellent question. I mean, I trust me, I wish I had a crystal ball of what was going to catch on because I would contract for that like today. But the rub is, is, you know, they're all experimental, right? It's just like, well, let's see how it happens. You know, like Nectaron is a no brainer. That's a delicious hop. Um, you know, we Picturine too. That's pretty Rewaka is is a beautiful hop. Oh yeah, Rewaka. That uh, lychee like, flavor is dynamite. Oh, yeah. We, I, uh, yeah, I mean it's absolutely beautiful. Um so like we love Australian hops. We use Galaxy quite a bit, Ella, Enigma. I mean, you know, we, you know, these are hops. These are hops you guys take take for granted, which is really funny. Like, you know, you guys might be more interested in American Cascade hops from a home brewer perspective because you can't get it in Australia at least easily. And we're like, Galaxy, 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 and you guys are like, eh, eh, just you know, grows on the side of the road, not a big deal. Yeah, so every kangaroo's got Galaxy in its pouch. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you want That's what you can't have. Source of it, I think. Yeah, you want what you can't have. Um, but anyway, but you know, to answer your question, like we buy quite a bit of New Zealand hops. Um, I mean, we buy quite a bit of Australian hops, but like I, you know, personally speaking, I love New Zealand hops. I do love just that they're so nuanced from you know this location versus that location. Um, you know, South African hops, we also do buy not a ton of, but we do buy, uh, in America. Um, they have some of those um, wild hops that like a Zaka came out of the one that we use quite a bit that like, I don't think other breweries aren't, are using, I don't even know why. I mean, I think it's fantastic is a, is a hop called Zappa, which is named after Frank Zappa. Um, oh, literally it, named after Frank Zappa. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like they partnered and anyway, it's, it's like a wild hop, very similar to Azaka, but it has this like spicy stone fruit thing going on. And I mean, it, we use it quite a bit. I think future, I'd have to look it up to be honest with you. I have no idea what's in future kill, but I think we used, I mean, if I'm almost positive, we used that with some El Dorado. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I wish I could tell you, you know, I had some beeline on what hasn't been released that, you know, that's going to catch on that other people don't know. I don't, I, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, even if I knew what it was, chances are I wouldn't be able to buy it. You know, like you kind of have to be on, on the inside loop to yeah. do that. I, I will tell you that like we spend the money to try to buy the best we can buy or in the best combination we can buy. Um, the other thing that we did in the last six months that you guys might notice as some of the beers show up is we invested in a recirculation tank, something that you know we haven't owned previously, but basically a tank where we can put all the hops in a separate vessel away from the beer and then basically circulate the beer the way a French press works to extract hop flavor without the hops actually ever tasting or actually touching the finished product. Hmm. Uh, and it's been really great for us. Like we, I, I, we, I think the beers are a little punchier than they used to be. And I think the flavor is more saturated than they used to be. Um, you know, and we love it. So basically uh, we just, we literally just started this in August and so like future kill was, you know, maybe the second beer we used with that technique. And I think the hot flavor profile is a little bit more saturated than it would have been otherwise. We've done hops, we've done water, we've done malts along the way. Mark, you're here in the Zoom room. You've got one question. Can you ask perhaps about a different ingredient that you might include if you're making a beer? <laughs> Hey, g'day, Mark. Hey, how are you going, mate? Th thanks for staying up late for us. Um, yeah, just let's go to the next ingredient. Um, yeast. Do you harvest your own yeast there, or do you pitch new yeast every brew? Um, for our our uh, non hazies or non like standardized yeast, um, we do we do pitch you know new yeast. Uh, for the hazies. Um, we use uh, a blend hop called Hazy Days. Um, it it's uh, an offshoot of a White Labs, which is a big yeast producer in America. But it's a it's a blend of three different yeast strains, including um, well, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but it's a blend hop and blend um, hop or blend yeast. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, uh, a blend yeast. It's, it's, uh, it's three. If you just Google it, it's from Hazy. It's called hazy days. It's now made at white labs. It used to be made at, uh, Oh gosh, the name escapes me, but it's in, uh, it was in Oregon. Anyway, it's a blend. It, it's awesome. We use it for all of our hazies and, we're not sophisticated enough to have our own lab in house to like make our own variation of that, you know, strain. So we get anywhere from four to about six 
batches out of a yeast before we have to dump it. And then we buy a new yeast and um, gen one is good. Gen two is great. Gen three is even better. And then it, you know, four five and six, or, I mean, you know, it, it's all just opinion, but. Um, as you a nerd the, question. Why is that? I, I wouldn't have. It's interesting. Why does it flow like that? Well, what happens is the, uh, you know, I mean, yeast is a living, breathing organism, right? So like when it gets in this first batch of beer, it tends to be overwhelmed. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, you know, I was living in this vessel, you know, with, you know, all of a sudden you dumped all the sugar on me like, ah, uh, and it's good. It's always good. But gin two is the best. Cause what happens is basically the, you know, survivor yeast, you know, rise to the top and the slacker yeast drop to the bottom and, you know, you pitch that, you know, that, you know, from, from your batch one to batch two and the gin two, it just, it's freaking perfect. You know, like it just takes off. It's the best of the best. And the beer is, it, that's usually the best of that strains uh, iterations in terms of performance, in terms of what it looks like, in terms of what it smells like. And then again, you have after that for gin's, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Sometimes we've even gone to like eight, but again, just depending on how healthy it is. Um, but you know, like the the more you push it, the further you go. The you know the, the weaker is the wrong word, but like it's just not as robust as it is. You know, Gen two, Gen three, and and all three of that blend live happily together the whole way. I guess is what I was sort of interested to sort of know is that you know one doesn't take over and dominate and sort of you end up with something quite different. That's what happens from one to eight is by the time you get to eight, one has become the winner and it has that flavor profile more than it did one and two and three, where it was really more of that blend. Um, And again, like again, places that are bigger and have better equipment and more sophisticated people, they can really dial that in and try to control that. But, you know, we're not there. Um, I will tell you, like, when we do our stouts, we tend to do, like, blends and stuff because it's always Gen 1 on the stouts. And so, like, we'll have, like, 40% this and 60% that. that, And, you know, it's always great because, like, it's like, okay, they did what they needed to do. Okay, let's move on. Um, Whereas with, like, the hazies, which is more of an ongoing type project, you try to get um, some additional use out of it. And so it, it, it varies. And it's funny because then the beer varies from one to two to three to four to five to six. And it's nice because that fits very well with our new beer mm. motif. Mm. That does fit nicely. I think that's a nice place to wrap up. Mark, who just asked that question, has typed into the Zoom chat just three words, viability, mutations, death, that sounds to me like it could be the label on the next of the adroit theory beers that we have. Uh, we are so lucky, mate, here in Australia to have access to beers like yours. So grateful to Forward Hops for bringing them and enormously grateful that you have spent some time on your Saturday night here with us in the Zoom room in Melbourne, Australia. We're going to uh, press stop on the record and we're going to sit around here in Australia on this gorgeous Sunday afternoon and drink some more of your beer. You're welcome to stay on or you're welcome to do whatever it is that you need to do in Purcellville, no, Purcellville, Purcellville, on a Saturday (laughs) night. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time, my friend.
Thanks, man. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Cheers.